Good evening. Welcome to Real Talk Podcast Live with William Terrell. Tonight we're going to talk about prison overcrowding, um, health issues impacting returning citizens, and a lack of programming in uh, the criminal justice system in the state of Nebraska. We also got a special guest, Andrea Ford, with Inmate Lives Matter. Can you let the people know who you are and uh, what you're doing? Um, yeah, I started um, an organization probably about four years ago um, called Inmate Lives Matter. We started it because my husband was um, in the in prison and I didn't really know anything about prison before then, but then I started learning about um, everything that was going on. So I started an organization realizing that there were several states other than just our own that were having the same issues. So me and um, Lena from Texas is my co-founder. We both started it. We were both having issues in our state and we had been friends as prison wives for a long time. So we started a group for all 50 states and also a national group for federal prisoners where we try to work on different things. So currently we're working in California and Mississippi and now in Nebraska again. That's nice. Let the people know who you are and uh, what you do. My name is Minister Charles Johnson. I'm a community activist. Uh, I've been locked up beginning in the year of 1985. Uh, my last date was uh, 2019. I got out. I'm doing a seven-year bit. Uh, so I'm just here to share some of the things that I went through. What, um, what pushed you to get involved? Um, this time, or to begin with? To begin with. Um, to begin with, my husband was incarcerated in the Nebraska Department of Corrections, and um, he actually, in order to get out, he had to do some programming. He was actually a nonviolent offender. He never had any violence on his record whatsoever, but right before he was supposed to be paroled, they signed him up for this program called VRP for the most violent prisoners and he was nonviolent, so it didn't really make a whole lot of sense. However, the problem was that in order to parole, he had to take the program, or he couldn't parole, but he couldn't get into the program, so they were just creating some catch-22, and so I wrote for the Criminal Justice Review just asking for um, more instances, and I got so many letters, I probably got 50 letters from different prisoners and tried to work on all of their stuff individually, and so that's what got me started. Okay. Charles, uh, what about you? I know you mentioned you were locked up before. What pushed you to want to get involved and give back? Well, actually, I, uh, I got a 501c3 program called Making a Better Way. And uh, I designed it to help the, those in jail and the homeless. Uh, it's a one-year in-house program that I'm trying to put together. Well, I put it together, but now I'm trying to make it active. Uh, being incarcerated uh, without people on the outside, man, they can't, they can't, they can't make it. They're not gonna make it. They're gonna suffer. It's very important for the outsiders to be involved with with their inmates that's incarcerated. And even if you don't have anybody in there, if you can join some organization that does seek and help those and look out for the rights of those that are locked up. It would be a blessing and uh, something good as a citizen to do. Uh, the jail system is very corrupt. Uh, the guards, they mistreat you. I'm a first-hand witness 
on all three penitentiaries here. I've been in every penitentiary in Omaha and was mistreated in every one of them. So it's very important because being an inmate is telling you that I'm inside the situation. And it's the outsiders that need to step up and, and, and get involved because you're the only guys that can do anything about this. So we urge you to get involved, find community uh, activities and, and programs in your community, develop one if you don't have one. But it's a very uh, needed uh, commitment and uh, I urge those to uh, get out there and uh, join these community activities and get involved. Andrea, uh, could you talk about some of the things that have happened or people have contacted you about regarding some of the things that's going on inside the state prison? Yeah, just recently I had, it's actually an inside activist that reached out to me um, and he just, he had gotten my number out of the um, criminal justice review and gotten some of my information and found a way to reach out to me and let me know that currently um, starting at NSP, they're being locked down at nighttime at 6 p.m. because they don't have enough staff, supposedly. So the guys that go to work, um, after work, they have to either choose between dinner or taking a shower. Um, they don't have time to do both. Um, then at nighttime, they're giving them their breakfast as a sack lunch at nighttime so that they don't have to provide breakfast in the morning. And if you're I mean, the people that can't afford commissary are basically starving because they're not giving them enough food. So you can imagine that this breakfast really makes it to breakfast in the morning if you're really hungry. So there's that. Then the diabetics, I guess, are really being treated badly. Like there's one guy that was at Work Relief Center for seven months. Um, he was doing really good, had a job. Every day they had to take him over to another prison or facility to get his insulin in the morning. So they decided that um, they would try him on this new medicine and um, the medicine was making him extremely ill. So he refused to take it. So they sent him back to prison, took his job away. You know, he didn't do anything wrong. He didn't get caught with drugs. He didn't get caught breaking the law. He just didn't want to take a medicine that was making him sick. And they sent him back to prison for it, caused him to lose his job, his community contacts that he made. And this is how that they're treating the people that are diabetic. And then on top of that, the breakfast situation is making it so that some of these people that are diabetic are getting sick. They're not getting their insulin on time. They're not getting snacks to go with their insulin. That creates like a life-threatening issue. So. Again, that's public safety. Yeah, and then we go over to DNE because more people after that reached out to me. DNE is housing four prisoners to a cell. That's probably made for one prisoner, and they're being locked down 16 hours a day because again, they don't have enough staff. Yet, you know, Ricketts and Frakes gave us a plan of action that includes staffing and working on um, the overcrowding situation, which they've done nothing. So, so what is the capacity uh, uh, for the Nebraska or Omaha? I, I think it's over, over 140%. Well, the total, mm -hmm. I thought it was at 159. I know that DNE is over 300% from what I heard. That's putting serious. Yeah, four people to a cell. Right. 16 hour lockdowns, yeah. So, what is the overall game plan, if you will? Is it, is it policy? Is it what? It, I mean, unfortunately, it starts at the top. Ricketts needs to take some action and do some of the stuff that he 
said he was going to do. He's about termed out, lucky for us, but um, he hasn't tried to do anything. Frank, I don't know if he just doesn't care to do anything or Ricketts won't let him do whatever. He came in with a game plan, supposedly. We thought he was going to be this bright, shining person for Nebraska, and again, we just have another sitting duck that doesn't do anything. So they had this five-year plan that was supposed to reduce overcrowding um, that we talked about actually at your conference. You know, and none of that, there's been no effort to reduce overcrowding. You have Rosalind Cotton that is telling the um, public that she is letting out 90% of people that need parole, yet we have over 1,000 people that are eligible for parole. But there's 5,000 people, 5,000 plus people, um, that are prisoners. So 1,000 people cannot be the remaining 10%. That, the mathematically, that makes no sense. So if she, they're lying to the public. You know, now they're saying they're running on emergency, whatever the protocol. That's why they're locking these people down. Well, so my contact said that due to all these things, now tension is really high. Well, we all know what happens. You're locking people in a cell four deep. What do you think is going to happen? You know? And that's, that's a prime example of what took place at Tecumseh. Yeah, exactly. And the person that contacted me was that Tecumseh. He said it feels the same way at NSP right now, so we know it's coming if they don't do something. You know? And what, what makes me mad is it seemed like they're more focused on the staffing piece of this instead of like the the human piece of this and actually releasing people that need to be released and providing services to people that need the services. They're more focused on, oh, we got this $10,000, come be a correctional officer, but they're not fixing the system. So it's just, the, the, even though they get the 10000 they're going to end up quitting probably anyway, so it's not going to make a big of a difference. Yeah, because they work 12-hour shifts. <laughs> well, and then on top of that, at NSP right now, they're building another unit. Mm-hmm. that the minute it opens is full that it's costing 45 million dollars and they don't even have staffing to staff what they already have so that's how they use the funds so that was going to uh, Tecumseh uh, most of the staff had a probably about a year under their belt that the turnover was so bad because most of the staff couldn't couldn't handle what was, what was going on in, in, inside so you know my brother's in uh, Anamosa and he talked about it all the time that uh, they won't give him the necessary programs for him to be able to, be able to get out. So without the programs, he has to sit there. I want to emphasize on that, brother Willie, because I was locked down in uh, every jail, every penitentiary here in Omaha, and not one penitentiary that I went to had anything to offer me as far as leaving the penitentiary during my time. Yet no, 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 no. There, in Kansas City, Missouri, every jail there has auto mechanics, painting, welding, electricians, college. You can when you go to Missouri, any Missouri penitentiary, when you come out of there, you can come out of there with degrees. Here in Omaha, Nebraska, as I said, in these jails with nothing to do, no one to. Uh, Help me with a better myself. You just really just sitting in the in the penitentiary here in Omaha, Nebraska, and that's what we fighting for right now. Uh, it's just like uh, having a 
uh, a box of hamburger meat or something, you stick it in the freezer and it's just sitting there, just been there and just sitting there untouched uh, with no reason really being there. So uh, what I'm saying to you is we need to get programs so like uh, electricians, there's plenty of guys that are volunteer out here, uh, contractors that'll be glad to step in and teach painting, teach electricians, but uh, we have to wake up and do something, America, especially in the state of Nebraska, because this is an outrage to the inmates there. They just, well, the reason to me, as I look at it is as being an inmate, uh, the funds for housing inmates now has become more like a, a, a projections. And that's why you no longer have a name, you're a number, you, you're, 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 you're money, you, you're money to them now. And so that's all they're worried about. But as far as putting money back into the system to help the inmates when they come out, they have something to offer. They just land still and uh, nothing to do, nothing to learn. But the thing is, you shouldn't be waiting until they get out. Because when you get out, you got that 90 day, 120 day window. And if you don't find housing, if you don't find employment, if you don't find the necessary things to be able to survive, or just the basic things, food, uh, then you're more apt to go back. So uh, I think that we should be going inside at least two or three years before they get out and give them the necessary tools to be able to filter back into the community. Definitely to reduce recidivism, they should be getting out with jobs, resources. They should know where they're going to live. They should pretty much know have, at least have the basic necessities laid out for them before they get out. Mm -hmm. Mind you, when I got out of the penitentiary, I did seven years. When I got out, I was handed $60 for being in there for seven years. Uh, no job ready for me, no housing ready for me. Uh, I was just let out and you're on your own. And then how do you think a guy gets been doing five, ten years, he get out, no place to go, no money in his pocket, what do you expect him to do from there? Yeah, that's basically what happened to us. When my husband got out, he didn't get to go to work release. We didn't get any transition back into society because he had to take this program that he couldn't get into. So we were just waiting on this program to get done. So once the program was in, they're like, okay, you can go. He just got sent home. And we had to go to Iowa to parole. But Iowa didn't even know. They thought he had gone out like a month before. They came to my house looking for him. And I was like, he's still, he's still at the Kumsa. Like, you guys don't talk to each other? And I mean, it was just like, they thought it was kind of a joke too. They were laughing about it, like, this makes no sense. Like, they didn't even, I don't even think, I'll be honest with you, I don't, I've met his parole officer one time, never saw him again. So honestly, it's not like there's some programming. My husband had to take no programming. He had to do nothing, just get out, you know? Well, well the system is set up to do exactly what it's intended. Yeah. Want to be able to house and lock as many black folks of, of, of color up. So um, we can't expect it to do anything other than what it was meant to be. Mm -hmm. You know, so we got to be the ones to be able to bridge that that connection, if you will, because transportation is a big issue. So you can't go up there and visit them like you should. Um, mm -hmm. They make phone calls. They can run anywhere between 150, 200 dollars a month just for just for calling your mom. You know, so it's it's a big business. But uh, again, that should be one of our top three, if not the top two priorities, is criminal justice, period, because so many black folks and people of color. Uh, talk about when the individual get out and has a family and how that impacts that individual. 
Well, I'm me personally, I read every book on reentry. I thought I had this whole thing figured out. You know, my husband came out, I was ready. I knew what was gonna happen, we were gonna be great, perfect, nothing, nothing like that happened. What happened is they get out, you have absolutely no way to be prepared for the fact that your loved one just spent five years in a dangerous environment, six months locked into solitary confinement, no mental health care whatsoever, and this person that you knew doesn't come home the same person at all. And I had heard that, but I, I kept the maximum amount of contact you could possibly have with someone while they're there and thought I knew we were gonna be good. No, not at all. My, I mean, I don't wanna give specifics because I don't wanna, right. everybody knows who my husband was, but it, it didn't work out. Like there, every family that I known that I was friends with the whole time he was in there, that I saw at every visit, that made every phone call, none of them are together, none. Not one single couple, and most of their loved ones are back in prison. Mine isn't, but most of theirs are. And may I also add a little, so when you've been in jail for a long time, and then you finally released, man, I, trust me, from personal experience, you don't know, just the little things like uh, uh, telephone, new telephones they got now, and the things that they do, uh, you don't know how to use a phone. Uh, a lot of people been locked up so, uh, so long, they don't even know how to use a microwave. I mean, it's a lot of adjustments, uh, simple adjustments that you wouldn't think that's going through the, that person's mind and, uh, and, and especially uh, with no way or no way to turn or seek the help that's necessary when these guys go in and then get out. I think Yusuf had uh, mentioned that one day, the social, the social impairment that these individuals go through that nobody addresses and try to help them navigate through once they're out. Yeah. I think mental health is a, is a huge component of that because you get out, when you're inside, you can't be kind. No, you think I'm like a predator. Yeah. <laughs> you can't be kind, you can't be soft, you can't be those type of things inside. So you have to be almost on your, your guard and you have to be you know, a strong person when you're inside. Mm -hmm. And it's not easy to come outside of society and be able to have those qualities. Mm -hmm. Because vulnerability is, it's, 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 it's a powerful thing. Yeah, I mean, and that's to the wise. Like, we can all sit here and say, we know they're going to come home, it's going to be different, all that stuff. But you still, as a human being, have expectations that you can't, no matter how hard you try, you can't push out. You expect a certain quality of being treated, and you expect that. And then when someone gets out that has had no life skills, no, like, way to treat you any kind of way except for at a visit or on a phone call. You can you can pretend anything you want at visit or on phone calls. You can go visit that person for five years, every single week, twice a week, most of the time, and still they'll come home and it's still gonna be different than you thought. Because anyone can be anyone for an hour. But when you're there 24 seven, then the real thing happens. And then you know you realize, like I think my biggest thing was and unfortunately, people can't do this, but services need to be set up before this person comes home for you guys to go to counseling together. You guys got to figure out how to like live together, how to survive what they had to survive in regular society, how to teach them what they need to know. It's a big job, and most wives, girlfriends, whatever, don't realize that. Most kids, they don't understand. Like my kids didn't understand. Like they had this big hero before he left, and he came home different, and they didn't get it. You know, so. 
I would like to add a, a comment of Brother Willie uh, made earlier, which is very true. Mental health is the first thing that should be given and offered uh, to inmates, especially those that have been in jail and incarcerated for a length of time. Um, when I got out, uh, even going to sleep, you know, I went to sleep like I'm in jail for over a year or so before my wife was able to touch me and I didn't swing at her or jump up or you know, thinking I'm still in jail. Sometimes I almost raise my hand or ask, can I get something to eat or some water? There's a lot of mental uh, that, uh, that, that, that enters your mind. It's, 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 a, it's a learning progress all over again to be back into society. So, first of all, before I forget, what's your contact information? Website, Facebook page? Um, well, what, we're on Facebook. Um, it's Inmate Lives Matter. We've got the big, you know, American flag. We have one for every state. They're called chapters. Um, if you join the main one, just tell us where you're at. We'll get you to the right state. Um, also, you can call me anytime. I have a number just for that. It's 479-599-3034. We also have an email address. It's inmatelivesmatter at gmail.com. So, what is your mission statement or what are the three or four things that you guys do as far as over the years? Um, it's kind of hard to like nail down at what exactly we do because it depends on what the need is. Um, people contact us, like let's say right now. So we're working with, um, in California, There's the governor's doing a lot of really good things in California, so they should probably be a really good example for the rest of the country. They made a juvenile, like basically juvenile offenders 25 and below. So it's called youthful offenders now. And those people that have been in prison for 25 years, whatever, that they did a crime when they were 18, 19, 20, 21, mm -hmm. they're getting the opportunity to go home now. Yeah. Because um, the truth about that is, is people that have been in prison for 25 years, their recidivism rate is about 2%. Those people don't really go back. You know, they've been there long enough, you know. Um, they have a lot of programs, actually, that they allow people to sign up for. Um, but the one thing that they didn't have is people serving life without parole. So we'll say like a youthful offender for someone serving life is 25 and below, but we're gonna exclude LWAP from everything. Well, so this person killed somebody, they got life, this person killed somebody and got life without parole. What is really the difference? There really wasn't that much of a difference. So the governor has since, um, they have fuel in California that works really a lot for people serving life without parole. So we, have con we contact them some, we try to work with them. I have a friend that's in California that I work with. He's serving life without parole. And he does a lot of activism and stuff like that. And um, he mentors a lot of the younger guys and things. But California's doing a really good job in a lot of ways. Like the governor is not afraid to um, commute a sentence because he's like, hey, you showed us that you were doing well. Let's commute your sentence. He's done a lot of them. You know, so um, we work a lot with life without parole because the rest of it seems to be going much better. Because, I mean, California, not too many years ago, was a disaster. So they've turned a lot of things around, and I think they're probably a good place to look. Um, another thing, we had people reach out to us from Parchman in Mississippi. I don't know if you all know anything about Parchman, but if you've ever watched the movie Life, that is Parchman. It's a slave um, farm. That's what Parchman is. It is infested with rats, it's infested with roaches. It is the most 
Some of them Angola, Angola, Louisiana. Yeah, yeah same. Yeah. They're very similar. I, be, I believe Parchman might be worse, uh, but we've worked with some people in Angola too. Um, right now, what we're trying to do is, um, really we're trying to get them to shut Parchman down. It shouldn't even exist. The place is disgusting. It's not fit for, the health department could go in any other place in the world like and not be okay with that but they're allowing these men to live like that so we're working with them i plan to go there hopefully in february is the plan plan to go to california as well so i think a huge problem is it's written into the constitution that you can be a slave uh-huh. if you're if you're incarcerated i think another piece to it is looking making sure we address it on the front end so the sentence and discrepancies people not being able to bail out and have to sit in the county for so long and then taking these plea deals when they could probably beat the cases is that type of stuff. Also addressing parole and probation. I think anybody that works within the prison system should go through recurring cultural competency and race equity training continuously, not just once. From top to bottom, if you have a say-so on the criminal justice system, I think you should have to go through it. I would like to say something else too about uh, when you get arrested here in Omaha, I think they should adapt the, the programs like uh, Kansas City has bail bonds. You here, you have to go through the courts, and that could take a considerable amount of time for you even get into court, you even get a bill here, and you even get out of jail. Uh, sometimes we need to copy off of other states, but like Kansas City, you go to jail in eight five minutes. After they book you in, they let you use the phone, and they got all the bail bonds names on the wall and the phone numbers. You're getting out of there. But I think I saw in New York, and I know a lot of other states are kind of just erasing the whole cash bail system and basing it off of it individual. Like, if if we know you're not a harm to society, we just, we don't let you out. And it's shown that most of those people come back, and most of those people beat their cases. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you can't beat your case while you're sitting in there. How can you fight a case with no resources? And that's the importance of having family on the outside, uh, like you see here. Uh, Those of us that are sitting here and discussing this matter, it's very, very important on the outsiders to help those that they have in jail. Without y'all, trust me, they're being mistreated, they're starving, uh, they don't have any rights. I'm a witness to that. When you go to jail, all rights you had or you no longer have anymore. So you basically uh, treated like a dog. Yeah. You know, uh, I think if we educate more people that they do have rights. Uh, in Nebraska, uh, after you serve your time in two years, you actually can vote. Right. You know, what's going to change things is policy. Right. And what's going to change things is individual in the office that's going to make a difference. Most of the time, we get these individuals in the office that's not concerned about doing the right thing, but their ego or what the office can do for them. And that has to change. I agree. I think it's a lot more that um, our elected officials could do to address the criminal justice system. Like, all we have for so long is Senator Chambers standing on an island by himself. I know there's been other people, but he's been the main one. Mm-hmm. I remember when I first reached out to him, like he told me that he's like, yeah, I've been doing this forever. But the minute everybody's family leaves, they leave too. And so I made a promise at that point in time to him, like, listen, help me 
And when I don't have anyone in there, I'm not gonna go anywhere, you know? Yeah. And if more people would just, like when, you're, when your person leaves, like it's not over with, they could go back, anyone can go back. Anyone can be at the wrong place at the wrong time. You can be wrongfully convicted for that matter. Like you don't have to do anything to go back. So it should never just be over when someone gets out. Like everybody should still continue. I would like to see what's gonna transpire since um, marijuana has been legal in about 50 states. Are they gonna be able to go back and these individuals who've been incarcerated for this, are they gonna wipe their record clean? That, on that's the that, that, perfect world, but what they're gonna say is at that time they did commit in a crime, a, you know? In a couple of states, they have expunged the records. <laughs> And I think that it, that's a mandatory. If they're going to pass the marijuana laws, you got to take it away. Laws are way down. Laws are way down. But the problem right now, I, I like, I hate is like they're they're not expunging the records for everybody, but it's people getting rich off of weed right now, making millions. There's people sitting in jail for forty years for like it, it's crazy. And the sad part about this is the grandfather clause. Um, those that's already been convicted of marijuana, uh, even if the law is passed now, which it will, because weed is smokers are becoming politicians, the judges, they all understand that that this is not a, 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 as bad as uh, it was shown to be by those that don't smoke or never tried it and didn't understand it, but it actually helps you to me more so than hurts you. But, at the same time, like I say, uh, things are changing. And uh, just like other states have adopted, Colorado is the closest one to us now. Omaha is going to be next. They're going to be the next one that uh, they already uh, legalized weed for cannabis use. And so that's the first step in every city that has uh, a recreational uh, uh, weed. So we, it's coming. Just, just mark what I say. It's coming in Nebraska soon. And those uh, <laughs> those rural communities and their um, small prison facilities are being overcrowded. They can't even, they're stopping people and they're going, like, it, it's a huge problem. Mm -hmm. And it, we're missing out on so much money at the state. But for criminalizing something that shouldn't be criminalized, that was criminalized because of propaganda and we, we sell alcohol, and I personally think alcohol is worse than marijuana. Way worse. <laughs> and before I forget, man, I add this. Now, we have plenty of inmates incarcerated for smoking weed, yet the government is paying people to grow weed. That's the, that's the society we live in right now. It's yeah. very <laughs> 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 hypocritical. Uh, I know we talk. We, we talked about, I don't think we have, but solitary confinement and the impact that it's having on smoking well, inside. Well, I think <laughs> with solitary confinement, I kind of, I did a research paper for a class that I was taking on that because I just wanted to know more about why, why is it that you turn that way? Well, after so much time in solitary confinement, the actual cells in your brain start replicating the wrong way. Your brain just starts functioning incorrect. People were not meant to be by themselves. So when you put someone in solitary confinement for month after month after month, you create a problem in their brain. You know, it's not it's not good for anybody. That it wasn't. They even tried to do it with um, animals. It wasn't even good for them. 
then we put people like that, you know? Yeah. It just, you're creating a problem. Like, I remember when I used to get letters from the holes, um, I would get like these great letters, everything. Next thing you know, these letters from the holes start going downhill and they go downhill really fast. And then eventually you start getting letters that don't really make a whole lot of sense. And you're like, what? Or then you start getting pages with just words on it. I mean, that is what happens. Like uh, my husband was, is a very intelligent person get these really great letters, and after months and months in the hole, you start getting these just don't even make sense. Like, clearly, he is having an issue. Mm. I think our, our prison system hasn't modernized itself. You know how, like, a long time ago, smoking was cool, and they didn't say it caused cancer. But after a lot of science and research, it's shown, so it's being addressed different. We got all this, we got all this research, but nobody's addressing it different now. Mm -hmm. They're still thinking, just put people in these and he sells and just lock them up for days at a time and with no contact, and it's gonna fix them. And it's been shown that it's not, but they're refusing to fix the system. Mm -hmm. May I add on that? I was locked up in the whole, I stayed in the whole majority of the time. I would say three fourths of the time I stayed in the whole, but uh, some of you might not understand this, but personally, uh, I would rather been in the whole then, then, then on the outside for the simple reason I had my mind to myself uh, to do things, to write. Uh, I wrote some books. Uh, I did a lot of uh, program writing. I mean, but I had peace of mind. I didn't have no distraction, but that doesn't work for everybody. But I'm saying that did work for me because I didn't just let my mind drill. I used my mind. It doesn't matter to me where you are. Never stop thinking and never stop coming up with ways to better the society and yourself. <laughs> um, so what can be, what, what can we do as people on the outside to help you? Um, well, basically a lot of the things we do right now seem like these little things. Um, but what I experienced in the last time that I was dealing with this is that you would go talk to someone that would be like, well, did you talk to so-and-so? So I eliminate that by email blasting people. It makes them mad. I understand that. But now when I go talk to the person that I need to talk to and they ask me, did I talk to so-and-so? I'm going to be like, yeah, I had 50 people talk to them. You know what I mean? And so I do different things like that. I'll post just these just little action pieces. I make it so easy for everyone. I'll write a whole email. I'll give you the email address. If people don't want to, um, you know, people are worried about retaliation a lot, so I tell them, make, up, make an email. It doesn't have to be your email you normally use. You don't have to put your name, but concerned citizen. Mm -hmm. You know, so if people will just get involved in these little pieces or just show up to, we're gonna have a community action meeting here pretty soon. If people will just show up to that, let us know what's going on. Like, we can't help what we don't know. And the, the family members out there know what's going on. And the, there are people on the inside that the family members I've talked to recently, these people are ready to t start talking to us to tell us what's going on. So we need the family to be brave. You know, to, if, if the person that you have on the inside is willing to talk and willing to help, to be their voice. You got, they have to be their voice. I can be the voice for people who reach out to me, but I can't for everyone. And it's the families of these people that are in prison that have to help them. You know, like, I'll, I'll do the best I can. People can come to me and tell me what's happening, but one person, like, there's power in numbers. We, just, we need numbers. I just need be be a person in the crowd for me. You know what I mean? Like, we have to, if we got to show them that we care about this, it's because people show up. I've had different rallies and stuff. You guys have shown up, too. 
you, there's all these people complaining to us about things that are going on out there, but then when we have something, they don't show up. Like, we need you out there. I don't care if you wear a mask when you come out there, but be there, you know what I mean? And I think that's just a, that's a problem with society now. Like, mm-hmm. everybody's outraged on Facebook, but nobody's willing to get into the streets. Yeah. That's one of the good things I like about Brother Willie uh, Hamilton. Uh, he's been in the community trying to make it better for those uh, that's in need, those who are suffering, those in stress. Uh, but Willie can't do it all by himself. And that's one of the reasons we're on air, what we're doing, what we're doing right now. Because we're trying to make you understand that no one can do nothing on their own. We need help. We need you to, your support. Uh, uh, not necessarily funds, but your support is more important to us than your funds. Uh, so please, uh, don't just listen. Uh, understand and be willing to be take part in uh, solving and making this a better uh, situation. And not only for the guys in the penitentiary, but I also visit the youth. And uh, there's situations in the youth uh, correctional system that need you to be addressed. So let's not leave out the, the youth penitentiary because that's a, also a new need that has not even been attended or looked at. You know, but, um, and you're absolutely on point. Um, but we need to make sure that we, we connect the dots, if you will. Because you got a lot of organizations that are out here working, but they're working in silos. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the good things that uh, I think what's going to happen with our group is that we got most of the players yeah. that, uh, at, at the table. So moving forward, how do, how do you address A, B, and C? Mm-hmm. Well, may I address that? I do care, uh, I want to address that uh, real quickly. I came uh, and I'm going to sit with Brother Willie after this meeting. I have a program that I designed called Making a Better Way. It's a 501c3. Uh, and it's for the homeless and the, those incarcerated. Uh, and I'm going to uh, present this to Brother Willie and see if he and I can come together. It's a one year house program. Uh, you can either go they can have a, the opportunity to go to school or uh, get into the construction business or other jobs, but I do have contact with all the minority uh, contractors in construction. I myself have Charles Construction. Uh, and so uh, we're trying to not have excuses for them not to have a way to uh, learn a trade. And also this trade, when you learn a, a trade in construction, this is something that you can live with and have forever. And not only that, this is something that you can teach your, your children. Not only uh, young men, but young ladies nowadays, uh, they they just as vulnerable as uh, 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 being uh, uh, sound construction uh, workers themselves and, and, and having a construction company. So uh, we want to uh, make this work. So uh, give us your support out there. Yeah, that's definitely some of the things that we're pushing um, is the trades because you don't have all the different barriers that, that come along with that. But also entrepreneurship, um, owning your own. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't pass down, you can't pass down a job, but you can definitely pass down wealth. So at the end of the day, it's definitely about building uh, uh, wealth and being able to pass it on. Um, anything else that maybe we have not touched on? Yeah, I got one thing to address. One of some of the important things that I learned while I was incarcerated, and that was almost 20 years ago, and yet that uh, the problem still exists. Um, Brother Willie and I are going to try to 
uh, come together and see what we can do about this. But there needs to be a bus or a van that helps these mothers and dads that can't, and then brothers and sisters that can't get to the penitentiary because the visit, because they don't have a way to get there. So uh, that's a very concerned matter. And uh, I'm sure William and I and, and others might can address that. And it is an issue that um, we're both looking at. Um, and the one thing I want to say to um, like the family members out there, if you don't mind letting your loved ones know that we are out here working on something for them, like the thing Amen. I'm concerned about is when tensions are high, people Amen. get hurt. Mm -hmm. We don't want anyone to get hurt. I want you to let them know they have a voice out here. Reach out to us for you, whatever, and we're going to work on their issues. So just let them know that. Amen. I think I'm going to get on. For 19 minutes. Um, I'm really excited about... Um, Big Mama, uh, finally going to re reopen up at 75 North. We will be doing a series of uh, events, Black History Month, all month long. And then we also be getting geared up for our candidate forums. Uh, we're really excited because so many people are running for office and we need to know where they stand. And education is the key to everything. So educate yourself and be informed about who's the best candidate, what he stands for, and um, I'm looking forward to it. Definitely, yes. Um, again, I'm running for uh, the Nebraska State Legislature here in District 11. And um, it's, it's been, uh, running has opened my eyes to so much stuff and it's, it's showed me a lot in such a short period of time. But I got a long way to go. Um, but I, for me, as a candidate running, I want to stay within the people as much as possible. I'm not above anybody. I'm willing to sit at the table with anybody because that's the type of elected official I, I, I want in my life. Like, um, once you talk to a lot of people and you can see that they're disconnected from the community and it kind of works against the community if you're disconnected. So my biggest thing is staying as connected as possible to the, to the grassroots and doing whatever is possible to listen to people and get in front of them. And anyone who's just coming to our community, we have, I haven't seen you, folks haven't seen you in our community, we're gonna have a big issue. Uh, because at the end of the day, we're tired of folks just showing up uh, like a mystery almost, and then we never see them again. And make all these promises about what they're gonna do and uh, how they're gonna bring about change. At the end of the day, your word is everything. You gotta be held accountable. It's not personal. It's, it's called accountability. So we definitely need to hold folks accountable. And we have an organization out here, Inmate Lives Matter. She's been doing this for, for a minute. Uh, go to the Facebook page, learn out what she do, and, and connect. So. Yeah, and also, like the people, um, I don't get to vote in Nebraska. I live in Council Bluffs. I live right on the border. All of my issues tend to be over here, and I can't even vote. But for all the people in my group, you see people like this here helping us out on our issues. Remember that when you go out there and vote. Then you have like Angie Phillips helping us out. Remember that when you go out and vote. There's two people right here that actually took a genuine interest in the things that like we need help with. These are the people you need to remember when you go out there. And remind you, I don't even own a cat. I own a dog, but I, don't, I never own a cat. But I support the rights of, for cats. Uh, just because you don't have an inmate yourself locked up doesn't mean we don't need your support.
for those that do have. So join us and support us and support those that need you more than ourselves. Uh, well, uh, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, we'll be back next week. Uh, signing